0: This is a hard time to be a five year old. My son Levi has been a real trooper these past several months, always wearing his mask without complaint and frequently reminding the rest of us to wash our hands. He seems to understand the gravity of the situation and what is at stake, more than a lot of adults, I think. Nonetheless, like the rest of us, he is growing weary and impatient with the day to day reality of living in a pandemic. He has no real friends to speak of being as he was pulled out of preschool before he could make many meaningful connections. He doesn't get along with his older brother who won't give him the time of day or even let him into his bedroom without paying a tax. And kindergarten is kind of a lousy experience when you can't really play with the other kids or leave your desk all day except for the so-called smile breaks when you can go outside for a few minutes and take your mask off several feet away from the rest of your classmates, of course. He's lonely. And like one of his talking dolls with the string attached to the back, his phrases have become predictable. I don't wanna go to school, he moans several times every morning. I just want someone to play with me, he laments every afternoon while his mother and I are working. And perhaps most frequently, he complains, I wish we could go to the shopping mall. Like my father before me, who always took my brother and I to the local shopping mall, I often took my kids to Yorktown or Stratford Square or the Fox Valley Mall. That was our favorite weekend pastime for years wandering around, eating pretzels or ice cream, playing on the little coin-operated rides, and enjoying the whirl and the rush of humanity, as Bram Stoker's Dracula referred to the busy streets of London in that seminal novel. But now, these days, for Levi, it seems to feel more like we're living in a lonely castle in Transylvania. I feel for the kid. I really do. You know, when... When I was a kid, a small boy, I can remember wanting to go to the Toys R Us, you know. But the nearest one was kind of far away and no one really wanted to take me out there. We'll go another day, my parents demurred. Toys R Us isn't going anywhere. Then of course it went out of business and now I can't even drive there myself. Levi and I still find plenty of places to go, of course. It's not half as bad as he makes it out to be. We've been exploring local downtown areas uh, in places like St. Charles and Geneva and Lamont, visiting forest preserves and farms, taking long drives, even going to some bigger stores like Target. But for me, the shopping mall just feels too big and too crowded for an indoor venue right now. Just can't bring myself to go. Oh, and he wants to go to New York City to see the Statue of Liberty too, but that's not in the cards either. Not until this pandemic is under control. We had to have a difficult conversation about that the other day. I had to explain to him that things aren't simply going to change overnight, that this virus isn't simply going to magically disappear one day. But it's not like we'll just wake up one morning and everything will be fine. I had explained to him that it's going to take a while, that vaccinating everyone is probably going to be a slow and gradual process, and that things might never be quite the way he remembers. I sure wish we could go to the shopping mall, he sighed. The shopping mall's not going anywhere, I reassured him unsure myself, if it would still be there by the time all of this is over. Like my son, the book of Revelation looks to a time when all will be well. It's a difficult text to parse, though, as it's heavily cloaked in allegory and mystical symbolism, so much so that Revelation has frequently been interpreted as a text about the end of the world, It's an understandable mistake if you take it at face value. Rivers that turn to blood, meteorites falling from the sky, horse beasts with poisonous scorpion tails, scantily clad women who drink goblets of blood while riding astride multi-headed dragons, and a band of horsemen who spread war, famine, pestilence, and death across the land. Book of Revelation is basically a heavy metal album without the music. But for all of its grandiose mystical imagery, Revelation is a deeply political text. It follows in the tradition of the Hebrew book of Daniel before it, Daniel being another menagerie of cosmic horror on the surface and another political manifesto beneath it. The only difference really is that the author of Daniel was critiquing the Seleucid emperor, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, and John is critiquing The Romans. Apocalyptic literature, and by apocalyptic, I refer to a radical unveiling or a revelation, usually a prophecy about the inevitable destruction of some opposing force. Apocalyptic literature is always political. It's always crafted by people in exile or living under some kind of tyranny or oppression. And it isn't always written down. It can take shape in oral traditions and other kinds of myth-making. When European settlers began to encroach upon the tribal lands of the native Paiute people in the 19th century, a Paiute named Wovoka began a religious revival known as the Ghost Dance. Wavoka prophesied that the ghosts of their ancestors would drive out the occupying forces from their sacred land and bring back the buffalo if they performed the so-called ghost dance. He claimed that it would also equip them with a kind of spiritual armor, bulletproof ghost shirts that would protect them against their enemies. In a similar vein, the Kosa people of South Africa slaughtered their own cattle in accordance with a prophecy from a young girl named Nuoose, who claimed that sacrificing these animals would unleash the vengeful spirits of their ancestors upon the British colonists who sought to enslave them. John of Patmos isn't so different, really. Using allegorical language to mask his political ideology, he declares that Christ will return and destroy the Roman Empire, where things had been going rather badly for Jews and Christians alike. Domitian had purged most of them from Rome itself, and his predecessor Nero was arguably even worse, a leader so uncaring and cruel that he famously played the fiddle while his own city burned and then blamed the fire on the Christians, a convenient scapegoat. Once the Romans were gone, John argues, things would be okay. Things would be great. People will hunger no more and thirst no more, he writes. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to the springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And on that day, everything would be redeemed. It occurs to me that there are similar movements at play right now in America on both sides of the political divide. Conservatives and progressives alike have placed all of their hopes and fears on this upcoming election day. As if it were judgment day. And movements on both sides of the aisle have adopted the rhetoric of apocalyptic literature and prophecy. On the far right, proponents of the QAnon conspiracy believe that a mysterious figure known as Q, working from within the so-called deep state, offers prophetic revelations about the inner workings of the Washington elite. On the left, pundits flock to national polls that predict a blue wave that will wipe out the current administration like the ghosts of Evoca's ancestors rising to drive out the forces of white imperialism. Now, in that sense, this text from Revelation is very timely. Like each of us, it looks towards some future when everything will be magically made right. But friends, there is no perfect time. There is no happy ending, because there is no ending. The story continues to be told, much as it will be after election day. Yes, this is undeniably a consequential election and a matter of great importance, maybe the most important election of our lifetimes. Yes, the outcome will shape the course of history to some extent, but it will not be the end of history nor the end of the story. The problems that plague our country and our lives are not going to magically disappear no matter who wins the election. No more than the proverbial buffalo are going to spontaneously return to the lands of the Paiute. No more than taking my kid to the shopping mall is going to make him happy for more than a couple of hours. The problems are deeper than that. They still exist and we still are going to have to face them. The election is of great consequence, yes, but it is not the end all, be all of all things as we may be tempted to make it out to be. It is neither the end nor the salvation of the world. Christ is our salvation. The gospel is our salvation. This Tuesday may well be a kairos moment, as they say in the Greek, a kind of rare, unique opportunity for dramatic change, but it is not the eschaton or the end of the story. I love that day, Levi said to me as we looked through old photographs of things we'd done together, the places we used to go, I love that day." He kept saying it over and over again like a mantra, like a liturgy, as we scanned through the different images of us holding hands at the playground or eating pizza at a restaurant or posing together in a photo booth at the Fox Valley Mall. I love that day, Dad. And then, of course, he sighs, I wish we could go to the shopping mall. This is a hard time to be a five-year-old. I worry sometimes about whether he has the maturity or the perspective to get through this. But then I worry the same thing about all of us. I guess this is a hard time for just about everyone. As our choir will sing in just a moment, we need to feel the tenderness and warmth of your embrace, a gentle touch, an easy smile, We long for signs of love lost to the world for just a while. So we long for a return to something we have lost. We long for a world where everything is okay, where there is no sickness, no racism, no poverty, no oppression, no violence, no hate. We long, each of us, for an America that is truly great, though we might disagree about what that means. We long for a world where people will hunger no more and thirst will be no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. But that day, friends, if it ever comes, is not likely to arrive this Tuesday. This Tuesday is just another chapter in a longer, never-ending story. The journey continues. Whatever happens, we will keep on living and loving. We will keep on working and fighting. If not for a perfect tomorrow, then for one that is better than today. Amen.